about today, how do we overcome opposition? Because we're going to be faced with opposition every single day of our lives. We're actually going to take a look at a story in the Bible, one of my favorite stories. Just think about it this way. When, when we think of opposition in the Bible, what are some stories that come to mind? If you're someone who reads the Bible, there's, there, are kinda, there are many stories, different stories, but there is one that comes to mind, and it is with David and, yeah, we say Goliath. We could have said Bathsheba, but he didn't overcome opposition. That one he failed in, but with Goliath, he was able to overcome. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'm going to read the story. If you have your Bibles, of course, you can turn there. But when it comes to opposition, we're going to find that David, although he won the battle with Goliath, there was so much more that we may not see that took place before the battle. 1 Samuel chapter 17 says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkot in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Sukkot and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites, now Saul is the king of the Israelites. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. So I want you to picture what's happening. I want you to, to imagine what's taking place and, and kind of put a movie in your mind. Put, if you want to put background music, cinematic music, do that. If you want it dramatic, if you want it, you know, dramatic, then do that. But I want you to imagine what's going on because you're going to see one of the most famous Bibles, uh, one of the famous uh, battles in the Bible. So we want to imagine what is going on. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a, a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield-bearer went ahead of him. So here you have Goliath, who is a giant. They're estimating between 6 feet 5 inches to 9 feet 5 inches. So he's somewhere in there. He's a, he's, a, he's a big guy. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not the servants of Saul? So in other words, he's reducing them from being servants of God to just being servants of man. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines, the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite, whose name was Jesse, who was from, the, from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time he was very old. Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David kept going back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, 
the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now, Jesse said to his son David, Take this ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your, brother, for your brothers and hurry to their camp. And take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and, and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. So basically, Jesse told his youngest son, David, take these guys some food. They're in battle, so they're going to be hungry. But let me know how they're doing because I, I want to make sure they're okay. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and asked his brothers how they were. So here's this teenager running up to his brother saying, hey, so how are you guys? How, what's, what's going on? What's happening? As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? <clears throat> he comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Well, David asked the men standing near him, what, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that, they should that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. So David is interested. Now he's a teenager. What teenager wouldn't run at the opportunity of, wait a minute, riches, a girlfriend, and no taxes for my entire family? I can save the day. So David is thinking, wait, these things will happen? When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at David and said, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Watch David's teenage response. Not what I did. So David said, what have I done? Can't I even speak? It's, 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 this phrase is equivalent to a teenager's word today. Ha! Oh, it's the same thing. He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, the same matter, and the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're, you're not able to go out against the, this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and this man has been a warrior ever since he was a youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. Now watch what, watch what David does because, you know, he is kind of conceited and his brothers recognize that. But watch what he says. He says, you know, when, when a lion 
When a lion and a bear, so he's bringing his story, and this is a cool story too. When a lion and a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, and I struck it down. I struck it and rescued the sheep from the lion's mouth. So he's, he's actually letting them know that this is what took place. It wasn't just, you know, a lion and a, and a bear came and attacked the sheep. It's like, hey, get away and use my stick. No, I, I rescued it from the mouth of a lion and the bear. So David has some experience under his belt. And that, this is what he's trying to tell Saul. His servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. What David is saying is, listen, here's, here's this Philistine. Yeah, he's a big guy. Yeah, he has, a, he has a, a sword and shield and all of the experience. But have you ever tried fighting a lion and a bear? Stronger than a man. So David is already thinking in this kind of way. Saul says to David, well, go and may the Lord be with you. It's almost go. May the force be with you. Because he knows he's going to need God because of what he just told Saul. So Saul is saying, okay, you're going to need God. But also Saul knew he needed something else. So Saul dresses David in verse 38 in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul. Because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in his pouch, the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. So I'm sure even more, Saul is like, oh no, you're going to need the Lord. He's going without armor and with rocks. So Saul is watching this. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was more than a, a little boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. I think he despised him because he was handsome. That's what I think. I think so. I think he looked at David and was like, oh, this boy, he's little, he's not that great, he's glowing with health, but he's handsome. I despise him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. It's like, it's almost like, like WWE talk, you know, like wrestling. Like they have those, they have those words and, and, and word pictures. So he says, come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. So he's letting David know that I, I'll take you out. There's no way you can take me out. I will feed you to the birds. So he's trying to bring fear into David. Watch David's response. David says to the Philistine, to, to Goliath, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin? I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty God, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you, by the way, have been defying. That's who I come in the name of. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I, give, I will give the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel." All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So not only is he calling out Goliath, he's saying, I take out all of your friends. See all those guys around you? Yeah, I'll take you out, and I'll take out all of your friends. So David is like, he's, he's on fire. 
as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone without a sword in his hand. He struck down the Philistine and killed him. Talk about the greatest, one of the greatest battles that we would have ever seen. Here's David, just a teenager who takes out Goliath, who is this warrior, a person who everyone feared. All the Israelite armies feared. But David didn't fear him. Why? Because there are certain key things that David knew in how he could overcome this opposition. Yes, David was inexperienced, but, he, but David's inexperienced experience was battle-tested long before Goliath. In other words, David had, he had never experienced battle between two human beings, especially one that is a giant. He had experience with the lion and the bear. He had experience guarding the sheep. He had experience in that kind of way, but he was inexperienced with this battle. But his inexperienced experience helped him to win the battle long before Goliath. And when we come against opposition, and it could be anything, we all have giants somewhere in our life. It could be in our marriage. It could be relationally, financially. It could be with debt. It could be with health. We all have some giant. The question is, what is your giant today? What are you facing today? What are some obstacles, some opposition that you may be facing? It could be at work. It could be in school. It could be just the season of life that we're facing these giants. But what David does is, he, he does not allow the circumstances to change who he is. He looks at this as an opportunity to glorify who God is. And he says, I may have all of this experience with me, but it's for this one moment in an inexperienced battle that I find victory. And we're going to take a look at that because David shows us something that we can learn today. For some of us, we have life experience and we sometimes wonder, God, how, why am I here at this point in my life? This is what I've been through. This is where I am, and I'm facing this opposition. How do I, how do I win this battle? Which is pretty interesting because for David, he knew how to take out the lion and the bear. He just didn't know how to take out Goliath, but he used what he knew. He used his, he used his experience for that one moment. And sometimes it takes time to develop these experiences, but not just for the experience itself, but that God would use that connected with His Spirit in a situation that we're inexperienced in to bring about victory. We may not know what is ahead. We may not know how to bring the victory, but God does. He just wants us to connect with Him, that all of the life experiences that you and I have connected with Him is for this one moment. Last week, we watched the Super Bowl, or if you didn't watch the Super Bowl, you, you see these two teams going at it together, but there was one play that, that stood out. Well, there were a couple plays that stood out, but this one play probably will go down as one of the greatest plays in Super Bowl history, and it was called the Philly Special, right? This is when the quarterback caught the touchdown pass. So Nick Foles, after the game, Nick Foles is the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, and it was Philadelphia against uh, Patriots, just in case you didn't know. And so you have these two teams, and, and, and afterwards, 
they asked him about that play, the, the reporters, they said, hey, Nick, uh, tell me about that play. He said, oh, we've been working on that for the past month or so. And so when it came time for it, I walked over and, and we, Coach and I looked at each other and we thought, are we doing this right now? Yep, Philly Special. Okay, let's do this. And it's a trickery. It's a, it's a trickery play. It's a trick play. But they executed it perfectly. Perfectly. Scored the touchdown. And, of course, they ended up winning the Super Bowl. What I find interesting is that they practiced for 30 days for that one moment of a four-second play that brought victory. 30 days of practicing, executing, building that experience. So by the time they executed, it was a no-brainer. It was easy. That's what David did. When David came into this opposition, the battle was already won in David's eyes. He didn't look at this as, oh, we cannot defeat this Goliath of a champion. He didn't, Goliath wasn't even a thought to David. David already knew in his mind that he was going to be victorious because of God. He wasn't just looking at, well, this is where I am, so I, I have a sling and some stones. He already knew he was going to win. Why? Because the battle belonged to God, and that's what David said. You see, every single one of us have been practicing for years in various areas. It's now allowing God to empower us to overcome whatever opposition we may face. So today, it's time to slay our giants, and here's how. We're going to look at three things that we need to know. Here's the first thing. We need to know whose side we're on. We definitely need to know whose side we're on. Goliath serves as, as that antagonist against the Israelite army, against David, and while David is the hero of this story. But David, although he has this, this hero attached to him, he's not the one saying, I'm the hero. He's saying, I come in the name of the Lord God. Goliath comes against the army of Israel and he insults them in, in, with, with theology. He comes with his, his theology. And he says, you, you, you serve Saul. It's almost like he, the, he downplayed their faith in God. He says, you, you, you serve this man Saul. You're servants of Saul. And so he's, he's attacking them theologically with the way they think and their belief in God. And so now they're starting to think, that's right, we're, we serve, here's our king. But he also attacks them socially. And Goliath says, you know what? You, you, guys, you guys should just become our servants. That we're going to go into this battle, and once we win, you're going to be our servants. He defied them so much so that even Saul, the king, became fearful as well as the, Israelites are, the Israelite army, and they fleed from Goliath. But not only that, he doesn't only attack them with, uh, socially or theologically, he also attacks them militarily. With their military force, one of the greatest military forces at that time, Goliath breaks them down from a military force to a single person. And he says, you don't, we don't need to fight, we don't need bloodshed. Who needs that? No one wants to die. In fact, you know what? Just choose one person and we'll go mano a mano. We'll go man against man, one on one. And so now the Israelite army is reduced to a single person, but no one steps up until David shows up. 
because David already knew in his mind what was going to take place. David knew whose side he was on, but David also knew whose side he wasn't on. And he knew he wasn't on the Philistine side. David knew that he was on God's side. Let's read what Romans 8.31 tells us. And we're going to read this together. It's going to pop up on the screen. Ready? Go. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That is probably the, the most hopeful scripture that you and I could ever imagine and memorize. That if God is for us, who can be against us? What, our job, finances, people, rumors, gossip? Who can be against us if God is for us? We got to remember whose side we on, we're on. And if, and if when we face opposition, we forget whose side we're on, at least know whose side we're not on. And we're not on the enemy's side. We're not on, on Satan's side. We're on God's side. And we need to be reminded often that I am with you, God, because you are with me. The second thing is we need to know who we belong to. We don't, first of all, we don't belong to this world. We don't belong to the, the changes of the world. We belong to God. He's the one that made us. He's the one that has a plan and a purpose for us. And during their actual combat... Goliath insults David at specific points and, and specific things. Not only does, does he call him just a, like, you come to me with some sticks? Like, he's trying to demean David. He's trying to put David down. And he's using words to, to describe David. But David is saying, that, you, you can't do anything to me because I know who I belong to. You can say whatever you want, Goliath, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't change who I am because my identity is not in who you say I am. My identity is in who God says I am. And my identity is in the Lord God, the one who's going to take you out. So David stood firm in who he was in the Lord, not social status, not what he was wearing, not what he drove, if he had a horse or donkey, not what he possessed. He didn't. He said, you know what? I may not have sword and spear. I got some rocks. But David knew what those rocks could do. He knew who he belonged to. So it didn't change who David was. David didn't adapt to Goliath. David fought how he was supposed to, how God made him in belonging to God. And David knew that. He understood that. Goliath goes even further. And he says, come to me so that I can give your flesh to the birds of heaven and to the wild animals. It's almost like he's mocking him. Like, yeah, you believe in heaven? Yeah, yeah, okay, you can believe in heaven. That's fine. Come to me so I can give your flesh to the birds of heaven. And David's like, man, you don't even get it. I belong to God. I know who I am. And as he continues to mock David for, for being a shepherd boy with a stick, David is thinking in his mind, you're, you're done already because I know what I need to do to defeat you. I don't need no sword and shield. David is thinking in his mind, you have no idea. I took out a bear. I took out... I took out a lion. You're easy. All of my life experiences led me up to this day, and I know what I need to do to defeat you. See, even though David took out some beasts, he took out the lion and the bear, he still was facing one. And sometimes we think, I, I, I'm able to overcome that, so I'm able to overcome anything. Well, you're, gonna, you're going to find other types of opposition out there. But what we don't do is waste the life experience here. Whatever we've gone through, could have been a difficult time, a tough season, tough relationship, tough upbringing, 
whatever it is, difficult relationship with your father, your mother, or maybe they left you or something like that. We don't waste those life experiences. We use it for the battles that are coming up ahead. Not in anger, not for revenge, but in victory because we know who we belong to and we know who we don't belong to. This is who you are. And Psalm 139, verses 13 through 17 tells us, for you formed my inward parts. You covered, me with, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. We, we, I want to read that together with you. Let's start with, I will praise you, and then we'll just read that sentence and finish off with, uh, my soul knows very well. Because I want, I want this to be ingrained in us, because I think for some of us, we really need to understand who we belong to and who you are, and where your value lies. Okay, so let's read it together on I will praise you. Ready, go. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. And I'll continue to read. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. In other words, the psalmist is saying, and, and written by David, he's saying, God, thank you for making me. Thank you for making me marvelous. Wonderful are your works. In other words, there's times where people are going to say negative things to you. Go back to Psalm 139 and say, wait a minute, that's not what God says. That's not, that's not who I am. God says this is who I am. Why? Because I belong to him. And that's what David was doing. And, and think about it. David really didn't defeat Goliath. Yeah, there was the, the battle that took place, but he really didn't defeat Goliath in, in this kind of way. David already knew what was going to happen. David already knew that he was going to be greater than any opposition because of his God whom he belonged to. And David already knew that he had, he had some stones in his bag and he was going to sling the stones. But Goliath didn't know that. David had a weapon that could be used in times of opposition. The Bible even tells us no weapon formed against us shall prosper. So when Goliath comes with shield and spear, javelin, and an armor bearer, David is like, I don't need to even get close to you. I don't even have to come near you. So when Goliath is approaching David, David starts running towards him. Talk about action. He starts running towards Goliath, takes out the sling, and I'm wondering if Goliath is looking at him like, what is that? What is that? Because normally it's a sword, shield, or javelin, some type of weapon, and as he's running towards David, yeah, I'm going to take you out. What is that in your hands? And then David just... Now, with David's speed, as well as the trajectory and the centrifugal force, big words, centrifugal force with this rock, it became, and scientists, they back this up, it became as powerful as a bullet. And while we were in Israel, Heidi and I looked at these stones. We were in the Valley of Elah, and the water wasn't running at that time, but you have all of these stones in the, in the brook. And they're all smooth because the, the water smooths them out. So because of the smoothness, the aerodynamics of this stone was even greater. And so when David 
throws this stone, all the Philistines on the other side, which you could see the mountainside, and on this side you could see the mountainside of the Israelites, the Israelite army. They could see each other, and they could hear each other, because in the valley the sound travels. David takes out Goliath. All the Philistines can see this. David comes up to him, takes out Goliath's own sword, and strikes him down. It's amazing that David knew not only who he belonged to, but who he didn't belong to. And David knew that God was going to bring the victory in the face of opposition. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 tells us, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. In other words, this is Paul the apostle, and Paul understood some opposition. He was Saul before he became Paul. And not to be mixed up with Saul, the king, this is thousands of years later, hundreds of years later, where now another man by the name of Saul, same name though, becomes a man by the name of Paul. And this Saul in the New Testament, he's the one that comes face to face with Jesus after Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the grave. Saul, who is a persecutor of the church, one who opposed Jesus, now sees Jesus face to face and Jesus says, I'm choosing you as my, cho as my chosen instrument to bring the gospel to the rest of the world. What was once opposition for Saul who became Paul, he became the greatest influencer for. Whatever you face as opposition, God can use you to be the greatest influencer for and for him, to glorify him. That's why he says wherever you go, you're the body of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So wherever you go, I will go too because I dwell in you. Which brings us to the last point, number three, Know who fights for me. Know who fights for you. Because it's not just going to be us by ourselves. God does the battles for us. He fights for us. If ever you feel like you're alone in battle, you may want to stop and pause for a moment and seek God. Because he's the one that fights for you. When I was in high school, I remember being in an electronic class. And while we were in electronics, one day we were playing cards. And we were playing this game called Trumps. Some of you play Trumps. And it is a very competitive, strategic game. So if, you're, if you play Trumps and you're that serious, it can get pretty intense, right? So we're playing Trumps. And I have some of my friends. And it's a four-player game. So uh, one of them, who is on the other team, he's one year older than me. So as we're playing Trumps, you have to play a certain suit if they, a, a suit is there, like a, the hearts or diamonds or whatever. So when I played my card, I dropped it, but I noticed I, I still had that suit. So I picked up the card and I said, I'm sorry, I, I didn't see that I, I have hearts. So my, my friend who was on the other team said, no, you have to play that card. I said, no, but I, don't, I have that suit, so I, I need to play this card. He said, no, too bad, you play that card. I said, you're going to ruin the game because I need to play the suit that has been played. It was just a mistake. I didn't see this card. And he said, you have to play that card. I said, it's not going to make sense, and I'm supposed to play this card. So we kind of go back and forth. Finally, I said, oh, here you go then. I didn't call him a name. <laughs> I'm not going to say in church or ever. So I, I, I gave him the card back. He stood up, slapped me right in my face, just, <laughs> and 
I, you know how when it's so hard, you don't know yet? All I, all I remember seeing was him, the wall, and then him again. I was like, what did just happen? And like a flash of light just poof. So I just, I sat there and all of my other friends are in awe. They were like, oh. They look at me, look at him, look at me. Like, what you, you, are you going to do anything? And, and then my, that guy walked out of the class. And we were like, what just happened? And in my head, I'm thinking, he loses it, SY. He, 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 he. So anyway, as time was going on during that day, I'm plotting. In my mind, I'm thinking, I'm going to seek revenge. I know what car he drives. I know where he lives. I know his family. Like, I'm thinking of everything possible to seek revenge on him. So I have all my plans laid out, and I'm thinking it through, so I, I got my plans down. Come lunchtime, he's walking down, like, the hallway area, and as I'm walking towards him, I'm thinking, okay, if there's going to be a confrontation, then we're going to go at it right here, which I didn't want to do because I probably would get lickings anyway. So I'm, but, I'm, but I'm ready, and I'm, I'm, he's coming towards me, and he, get, he gives me a look like, you know, I'm sorry kind of look. So as I get closer to him, and he gets closer to me, he says, hey, Sheldon, I, I just wanted to apologize. I'm, I'm so sorry of, you know, what I did, and I shouldn't have done that to you, so I'm so sorry. I said, Okay. And he says, yeah, I just, I just wanted to make sure, you know, we made things right. And I said, yeah, yeah, we're good, we're good, we're good. In my mind, I was like, shucks, I cannot damage his car. Like, like <laughs> I so wanted to do something mean to him, but everything was good. Later on that day after school, I go home and I tell my sister, who's a year older than me, and, and her name is April. I said, hey, April, you wouldn't guess what happened today. She said, what, so-and-so and slap your head? I said, yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact, he did. I said, how did you know? She said, people told me. And I said, yeah, but during lunchtime, he apologized, so he made everything good. He's okay. She goes, oh, I hope he did, because I told him, if you don't apologize to my brother, I'm going to lick you. <laughs> so, so I was like, you told him that? She goes, yeah, I told him, if you touch my brother one more time, now I'm speaking pigeon, you touch my brother one more time, I'm going to pound you out. <laughs> and he apologized. And I'm like, hey, April, I'm okay if you fight battles for me. I'm okay. I'm okay if my sister fight for me. I'm okay. I'm good with that. I could care less as a guy, okay? She's one year older, and I was good with that, and which I am. I'm fine with that. If I don't have to fight someone because someone else fights it for me, save time. <laughs> save energy. Save this, right? We want to save the face. Make sure we're all good. I don't like black eye, so I'll let her do that. But then I thought of it in this way. Shouldn't we be like that with God? Because we start plotting, we start thinking of revenge, we start thinking of how to get back or bitterness or anger when we should be saying, you know what, God, waste time. You got this. You can fight the battles for me. You, you, you can do a greater job than I can. In, in the book of Proverbs, chapter 21, verse 31, it says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory belongs to the Lord. It belongs to him. Let him fight the battles for you. And it doesn't mean we just stop and relax and do nothing. David brought his experiences, but he also came with the spirit of the living God. And in an, ex in an inexperienced battle, he brought his experiences. He did whatever he could on his part, knowing that God would bring the victory. David won the battle long before Goliath. That's not where the, the battle was won. It was won long before that. And for many of us, you may be facing a battle right now. Did you know that the battle has already been won? God is just waiting for us. 
He's saying, you got to bring, bring your A game too. You bring your very best because I'm going to bring mine. And the reason why he wants us to bring our very best is, we, is because we can actually mess it up. So he says, bring everything you have and together we're going to be able to move forward. That's why David said it like this in verse 47. He said, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And David's inexperiences, or the inexperience of this battle, God used, even though David wasn't battle prepared for Goliath, he was battle tested for anything else. And he could overcome whatever it would be because David was prepared long before he encountered Goliath. And God has prepared you and I long before the giants you face, long before the giants I face. God already saw the battle. He sees the victory. He's just waiting for us to catch up with it. And because of that, he says, I'm going to make this happen. God will use all of your best experiences for possibly one moment, and it'll change your life, your marriage, your finances, your perspective, your heart, your vision for life, because the battle belongs to him. Let's read Zechariah 4, verse 6 together. Ready? Go. So he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That's what God says, that he's the one that's going to bring the, the, the victory in the battle. It's not going to be our power, nor our might. It's going to be by his spirit. It's time to slay your giant. Amen. And close your Bibles. we put away our notes and pray. And whatever you face today, whatever it is, the battle has been won. We just need to come with whatever we have with the Spirit of God and watch the giant fall. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we have a God like you that reminds us that the, that the battle belongs to you. You have battle-tested us long before we faced the giants. All of our life experiences, everything that we have been through, the ups and downs, our childhood, our upbringing, our teenage years, they all come with life experiences. But when we couple that with you, when we connect with you and go forward together with you, there is no opposition that we cannot overcome. Whatever, whatever it looks like, how great it would look like, how, how giant of opposition we face or how, how grand that opposition is. You're greater than that. And so we, we come in the name of the Lord God Almighty. The battle belongs to you, Lord. Remind us often who we belong to. That we, don't, we don't belong to this world, but we belong to you, and we are on your side, Lord, because you fight for us. So we thank you so much. I pray for the, the women here today, Lord. I pray that you would give them that confidence the strength necessary, that if they, even if they have children, Lord, that they wouldn't doubt themselves uh, how they are as a mother, but that you would reassure them that you chose them to be the mother of their children, that they are the best possible person to raise their children. I pray that you give them encouragement, 
that you would speak life to them today, that they wouldn't listen to the negative things, but that they would listen to your voice. I pray for the men, Lord. I pray that you would instill in us a warrior-like spirit, that even though we may feel like from time to time that we're, not, that we're failing, we didn't do a good job, that we, we're not doing as great as we would want to, that you would help us to rise up, Lord, as you call us the spiritual head of the household, that we would lead our families into battle and come out victorious because of who you are. I pray that for all of our men, the fathers, that they would lead their families well, that even though we make mistakes here and there, Lord, you have chosen us to be the fathers of our children. I pray for all of our children, Lord, our teenagers, our younger ones. I pray, Lord, that you would give them the mind of Christ, the kind of mind that, that is sharp, that, that they don't need to blend in with the world or try to fit in because everyone's doing it, but that they would turn to you and say, who am I in God? That they wouldn't fall prey to peer pressure or social media or this is what they should look like or this is what they should eat or how they should eat or how they should look but that you lord the spirit of the living god would reassure them that they belong to you that they are perfect just the way they are you created them with such purpose vitality energy and with a way to think to pierce the darkness that as the church lord as the body of christ we would go out into the world and overcome any opposition that comes our way. We thank you for being the God who fights the battles for us. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together, amen.